0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change?
1: Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Jerry people of the Coolant Nation and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hello and welcome to another episode of Reclaim Me. Today I am joined by the effervescent and incredible Nicole Madigan. Welcome. Thank you for having
3: me. I'm very happy
2: to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. We caught up, I think it was last week, and we had a bit of a chat about your work, who you are, and everything. Would you mind giving the listeners a bit of a uh, an insight, I guess, into you, who you are, and what you do?
3: Yeah, so I'm a journalist. Um, I always have been. That's pretty much all I've ever done since I was 20, aside from a, yeah, a couple of comms jobs peppered in there. But other than that, I've been um, reporting in one way or another. Um, at the moment, I'm freelancing for lots of different places. Um, I'm a mum of five children. Three of those are biological children and two are stepchildren. So we're a blended family of seven. So... We're very busy and between those two things leaves very little time for anything else, but I'm a big reader. I love to read. Um, Yeah, and that's me.
2: I love that so much. And I love (laughs) the fact that you said blended family and that they're your children as well because I think often I just, I'm not a parent, but often I hear people talking about it and I always just have that appreciation because they are your kids. You know, you're looking after them, you're a primary carer. Um whether they're biological or not, they're still your family. And I just love the way that you speak about that so much. It's so wholesome.
3: Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think it's it's a it's lovely, I think, to be able to, you know, add add new people to your family and, and, and give your children new siblings and it's yeah, it's interesting to watch the dynamic
2: change, but it's um yeah, it's nice. It's iconic. Um and I'm jealous. Like I have a very quiet household, bar my dog. Uh, <laughs> well that makes me jealous. <laughs> We always want what we can't have. I've always just said, though, like, I want (laughs) 10 adopted children. Uh, I want to wake up with, like, one of them burning pancakes, the other one screaming that they don't want pancakes, (laughs) somebody screaming because the milk is off. Like, this is a Saturday morning, and I don't know why, but I just find that, like, it would be chaotic, but I know I would love it. Yeah, for the first couple of weeks and then
3: you're like, okay, I could do with this
2: sleep yeah. Someone's screaming because they've got the wrong music on and someone else is yeah. and then I'm just sitting in the middle with a cup of tea just going, oh, the chaos. Yeah, that's that's pretty much my standard Saturday. So, And that's five as well. Like there is a lot of personalities in there. There is, yeah, there is. It's amazing. But amongst all of that, being a mum, having your hobbies and do everything, you found time – Uh, not only to work independently on your journalism work, but you've really navigated that into a new project. Um, Do you mind talking a little bit about that as well?
3: I've recently released my book, Obsession, which is a part memoir and part deep dive investigation into stalking, um, which was born of my own experience. Um, not something I thought I would ever kind of talk about or, or tell anybody about, let alone write a book, but it was just one of those things that kind of happened organically. And it's been a really, really interesting process. And I'm really glad I've done it though, because I feel, you know, based on the the feedback I've got and the messages that I've received from so many different people who have experienced similar things, surprising numbers of
2: people. Um, I think it's something we need to talk about. Absolutely. And it's something that is often joked about. I think the, you know, people will use uh euphemisms and things or will say I just Insta stalked somebody or get me on the case. I'm what really good at online stalking people. Um, oh, you're at the same place as me. Stop stalking me. And it's just like what you're doing is kind of making fun of something that is quite serious and is life-threatening for many people and life-changing where we quite openly most of us
3: including me up until you know I became more uh, became a victim of it I suppose um we yeah, we use that really flippantly um stalking and I think the problem with that is because our minds kind of associate the word stalking with something kind of silly or or lighthearted When someone is going through it, it's quite difficult to then take that person seriously because I think our brains are hardwired to kind of not think of it as something serious. But, you know, it it is serious and and the nature of stalking is usually a long-term thing that's going on and and over time, you know, that can really eat away at a person from, you know, a a number of different ways
2: because it can be done in in so many different ways. You you said that you had a personal experience with stalking and that was a precipitation or something that kickstarted this organic process of you writing this book. Do you mind telling the listeners a little bit about what your own personal experience was?
3: Yeah, so um like many people, I guess, I, I didn't recognize what was happening to me as stalking at all for a really long time. Not not when it started and really not until it, it well when I say finished until there was a charge laid um several years later um but basically what happened is I my son plays junior football um I was at a junior this is how it started I was at a little football catch-up with a, a few kids um a couple of the mums and dads and we're all just hanging out there um, one of those dads um is my now husband, Adam. At that stage, he was just one of the dads. I didn't know him very well at all, but but he was there, um, among other people. And there was a woman there with a couple of kids, but she was outside of the group. She was sitting kind of by herself. Um, so I noticed her for that reason, that she was just sitting off on the outskirts. But other than that, I just went about my day. I had been going through this kind of, you know, Ugly separation, the breakdown of my marriage, which is which is never easy. So I was kind of a little bit preoccupied. Um, it was getting towards the end of that day, and I was taking a few photos, and I kind of was scrolling through, and I heard this woman's voice say, "Are you taking photos of Adam?" And I looked up, and I I, I couldn't see anyone, and then I saw this woman just sort of walk past me, and I I mumbled a bit of a response. Oh, I'm just taking photos of my son, and but I wasn't sure if she was talking to me, so I just went about my day and and that was it um later that night I got this message request from a a woman's name it was uh you know I've, I've named her Carissa Owens in the book that's not her real name um I got this message request saying "Oh, I'm sorry about that comment I made today I was just seeing if you were taking photos for the football page and wanted to catch up so I just thought oh she must know um someone she must know Adam I'll just write back no worries you know I'll talk to you See you next time. See you at the next one. Um, a couple of weeks after that I got a message from her again, sort of inquiring, Are you married? We're just wondering if you're married. And um and I sort of said, you know, why why are you asking me these kind of questions? And and she's like, Oh, I just, you know, want to know and we've been taking bets on it and things like that. And I I kind of just started to ignore those messages. They're a bit odd. Um, And then I got another one back saying, don't worry, your kids are really adorable and and a comment about my husband and I thought, you know, what's going on here? She's like checking my pages or something, a little bit weird. Um, A few weeks after that I was on a holiday with my mum, kind of just de-stressing because of everything that was going on in my life and I got another message saying, we're still trying to figure out if you're married and my mum said, look, why don't you just send – you know, that coach, you know, she called him because we didn't know, who she didn't know his name, a message and say, you know, that this this woman that he knows keeps sending you these weird messages and, and you don't like it. You know, you've got enough on your plate. So I thought, oh, okay, you know, I'll do that. So I, I sent a message to Adam on Facebook and just said, like, you know, this, this woman, Carissa, I don't know if it's your girlfriend or your friend, but she's sending me these strange messages. So I'm not sure if you know, you know, just letting you know. Um, and he sort of just wrote back saying, "I'm, you know, I'm sorry about that. Um, you know, we used to date and it's just she has a habit of, you know, doing these kind of things and, and that's why we're sort of she's blocked from my life, I'm sorry about that. So I said kind of no worries and then put it out of my mind when it went about my life. A few weeks later he sort of sent me a message just to say, you know, just making sure you weren't receiving any more messages. And I said, oh, no, you know, I cracked, a, I cracked my own little, stalker joke, you know, I hate to admit now, and I'm like, oh, you know, as long as there's no bunnies boiling in my, on my stove, you know, we're, we're cool, don't worry about it. Um, and that kind of triggered a bit of a back-and-forth message exchange between us and, um, you know, our kids played football together, and they were friends, and, and over several months, we just sort of developed almost like a little pen pal relationship, but, but online, and, and got to know each other and, and, and had a lot in common. Went out on a date and and the rest of his history as far as him and I go, and we started dating. Um, about well, several months after that, we sort of had a function and invited our friends and family around. You know, we took our time. We've got kids, you know, you don't rush into these things when you've got kids, obviously, and you do it at the right time. But but we were moving along together and 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 having a really good time, and we had this event and posted a couple of photos. Everyone went home, and that night I got this message request from this clearly fake account. It was using Adam's name in a sort of, um, you know, a silly way. Adam is a loser or something like that. Um, And it was just a really vulgar kind of crass message, you know, how do you like my sloppy seconds, enjoy sleeping in the bed we fucked in all these times, this kind of stuff. And it was Peppered with that and I'm looking at it going you know ah, you know who's this you know I, did, I didn't even know who it was it didn't even click to me um, I'd forgotten all about that other kind of encounter and those messages just came ding 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 that night and they were just horrendous and 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 Adam got a whole bunch of them as well and as those messages were sort of finishing, I got a text message from my ex-husband saying, "Carissa says hi." <laughs> so that all happened in the one night, and I said to Adam, "How would how would my ex-husband know her?" You know, it was just the whole thing was just really strange and really, really awful. So that's how it started. That's you know, there's a, a long way of te- of explaining that. That's how it started. At that stage. I wasn't thinking, "Oh no, I'm about to be stalked" or anything like that. I was just sort of really shocked because, you know, there I was in my late thirties, in a new relationship. You know, my second really major relationship. I, I, you know, so it was it was really confronting to me, not something I expected, and it was just more distressing at that point. And that's how it started.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot, and. You know, it's quite an invasion of privacy, especially, like, on the night. Like, somebody's actively watching you. Um, and that would be quite intimidating and quite scary, I can imagine, to go through that. I did want to ask as well, you said that this person had said, like, we want to know whether you're – was it, like, the royal we? Was she just saying we as in we so she didn't say I? Was she trying to insinuate that they were still in a relationship? Is that –
3: at the time when I was getting those messages, my assumption was it, it sounded like she was saying her and Adam were having this guessing game about whether I was married. That that's what it sounded like to me and and that's why I mentioned it to him. But but he of course was sort of like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> you know like she's like um, trying to make sure you stay away, like she's potentially seen you as a threat. Yeah, and she's trying it, to it was-
3: it was very strange. And when um, Adam and I spoke about it later, at that time, you know, long before he and I got into any conversations, she, she had said to him that I was sending her all these abusive messages. So it's it's very strange uh, why she fixated on me. I don't know. Um, but it stayed that way for, for many years and, and escalated over that time. So scary. It's also
2: like a little bit. Ha ha! to her that she's the reason that you guys actually started talking it's weird isn't it yeah
3: <laughs> and, and, you know, and and again that's it's me using that phrase in the wrong way again but when we first got together we, we were having our first kind of real life date I suppose and and we talked a lot um online but before we did that and the little joke we had at the time was our oh, stalking got us talking we used to say as a joke um because you know we were sort of in a lighthearted way, kind of saying, oh, she was stalking me. And now, look, you know, we, we've got together as a result of it. Um, but, of course, we at that stage didn't think that um, stalking would actually eventually become a, a real problem. Um, and yeah. in hindsight, you know, it was, the, it was the wrong way to look at it. But that you, you can't predict these things.
2: Yeah, and often unless you've had a personal experience with things, you don't understand the magnitude. Like stalking to somebody, even if they – don't kind of lighthearted like like what you're saying like yes that was annoying and intimidating but you know whatever you know for that to kind of be a foreshadowing of what was to come as well but also in the sense of like I'm sure that you had no appreciation for that and that's not out of anything other than the fact that until you go through something like this You have no idea. And that's why I admire the book and the work and stuff so much as well, because it's giving people who haven't experienced that a new insight that they otherwise wouldn't have had. And what you're doing by speaking so honestly as well is bringing everybody into the fold. You know, it's not an elitist level view that's saying, I'm an expert, I always have been. It's going, no, 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 I also, you know, and it's not in a bad way. It's just, it's so... Wonderfully spoken about by yourself, I think, as well, because it really does show your progression of understanding.
3: Yeah, and I, and I think that's that that's exactly what I I want to do because when you know when I was going through all of this, even though you know I, I used to write a lot about domestic violence, so I was quite aware from a logical level that talking about things that you're going through is really important. I was writing a lot about coercive control, which does have some parallels in the fact that um, it's it's um, patterns of behaviour and, and not always illegal behaviours and things like that. And I was well aware that people sharing their stories and talking about it is the reason... Things are actually happening, you know, laws are changing and people know, hey, I don't have to put up with that. That's not right and, and all of that sort of thing. So on a logical level, I did know that. At the same time, as I was going through this, I didn't tell a soul, you know, I, I didn't tell anybody. You know, at the very beginning when I thought it was just something silly, I told a couple of friends as though, you know, he's a, a sort of a, a strange story for you, an anecdote at lunch or something like that. But as it became... Um, Serious and 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 she started really uh, harassing us a lot. Um, I didn't tell anyone, and as as silly as it sounds and simplistic as it sounds, it was just too embarrassing, too humiliating, and it just sounded ridiculous. The words sounded ridiculous, you know. Oh, my partner's ex girlfriend is um, won't leave me alone. It's just it's just too hard to talk about, um, and. I guess what I wanted to do, you know, coming out the other side is just be really honest about it, you know, all the warts and all stuff that happened, the things that were said and how how even the disgusting things or the embarrassing things or the juvenile things and how that made me feel. And in hindsight, I wish I had have told people about it. And I I want other people to know that uh, they can tell people about it and they should.
2: And that's the important narrative as well. It's that you're feeling all of these things and sometimes people that you will tell will reflect them back at you. So there's an education level on both ends there where people, what you're doing is giving people who are experiencing it an opportunity to possibly speak out about it. As you said, warts and all, the things that are embarrassing, the things that might seem petty. Uh, a woman that I spoke to recently, one of the first and most scary things that would happen to her was that her stalker would leave gifts and flowers on her front doorstep. And people would hear that and they're like, oh, somebody's giving you these really nice things. It's a, that's a really lovely thing. And it's like, they're like, no, it's, it's somebody letting you know that they know where you live and that's the narrative. And, you know, so I think it's an interesting concept because it comes from, you're tackling it at both sides, the education of the public and the education of future potential victims and giving them that opportunity to see it for what it is and it doesn't have to be glorified it is embarrassing at times it's soul destroying it's you know embarrassing on so many levels but you know that's why just yeah that that like you said you coming out that back end of that with that goal is so incredible you did um yeah You did say, like, that it had progressed to this point after this party and you're getting these horrible messages. You're getting these messages from your ex-partner as well. What was the next progression status? Had she reached out to him? Were they, like, what? That's scary. Yeah,
3: so I'll try and summarise it as best I can, which is, you know, and that's what makes it so tricky when you wait Till, the, till years into it, and this is what makes it so hard to report it to police because you've got this, this long-winded story to tell. But basically, in summary, yes, she had contacted him. Um, she contacted my mum. She messaged me and Adam. It sort of went in two phases, the stalking. So this stalk first phase, sorry, was all on Facebook Messenger and um, messages to me I would block do what I, I did what the advice was I would block those and then they would come again from another account almost always in her name she wasn't trying to hide who she was or anything like that she used her profile photo and and her name um at the same time she was also sending Adam lots and lots of messages as well um yeah she sent my mom a message and she sent my ex-husband a message um and throughout these messages they sort of were mostly they varied. They were mostly saying to me just terrible things about me, uh, uh, vulgar sort of sexual related things about Adam. You know, just trying to I uh, get let me know stuff that you know um, she had done or that kind of thing. You know, without being too graphic that you, you just <laughs> you just don't want to yeah. be reading. Um, and and these sort of evasive warnings all the time. You know something's going to happen and I'm working with your ex-husband and it's amazing what can happen when people work. So it was always like something's going to happen. Um, and once she contacted my mum, you know, I started to get a bit nervous. You know, I, I was my mum and I are close, so so she knew who that person was when she got that message, so it didn't come out of left field. I had been telling my mum. But the intent behind it frightened me, you know, that she would contact people in my life. How she was finding out who they were was also... A little bit frightening because we we had private Facebook pages and things like that, um, and I guess this first stage culminated in her creating a fake profile in my name um, and sending herself messages, um, screenshotting those, and then sending those to Adam as though I had been sending her these terrible messages. And obviously, when you're standing next to someone, it's easy to 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 prove that that's not you. But the notion of it um, scared me a little bit too. You know, where is she going to send these or, you know, is she going to send them to my clients or, you know, my my workplace, things like that. So at that point we decided to get some police advice and and Adam had a friend who was on the police force and we called him. And his advice was to not make an official report because that can provoke the perpetrator. Um, And that's a tricky one because, it's it feels like really t- it's hard to hear that because you're basically being told there's nothing you, we can do about it. Um, but obviously the 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 frightening thing is there have been cases, especially in domestic violence, where making a report or getting a DVO does trigger a really violent attack, and and that's the that's the sad thing. But his advice was to write her a formal email and warn her that we would pursue legal action if she continued to do it. So we did that and silence we thought why didn't we respond sooner you know because I'd been so determined that you ignore her you don't give it attention it'll it'll stop but it hadn't and it was having such an impact on me I I felt like I was losing it you know I'd have these moments where I was just just losing it and and I didn't know whether I was overreacting or whether I was I was underreacting and you know I just I just hated it but anyway we thought success we've done it we just had to tell her to stop um, but about six, five, six months later, it started up again. Um, but from then on, it was just all on me. She never contacted Adam again um, and hasn't since. Um, so from that point on, it was just on me. It started through text messages and then it moved on to Instagram and and the whole sort of theme changed. It was all really public um, and it was sort of done through, you know, posting images and captions and hashtags that 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 were really quite cruel and scary again always alluding to something being about to happen or something happening around the corner you know savaging my physical appearance continuously my work kids alluding to an affair you know all of these kinds of things and it was it was pretty much continuous her entire instagram page was dedicated to it again in her name quite public it was quite frightening
2: so brazen and it's so mm. scary not to talk shit about this police officer because it is correct but these are threats of violence and you know if i go back to that the domestic violence statistic i think 50% of threats that are made are carried out That's a half, you know what I mean? And if this isn't a domestic situation for you specifically, but, I mean, it kind of is. Domestic partnerships, and that's what this has come from. It's it's a very scary thing to have somebody, what you're saying, alluding to, but it is. It's a threat. It's a threat of violence. It's a foreshadowing of harm, you know, threatening your children, your work, your livelihood, your body, everything. Like, that's isolating you. In every single possible way, through fear, yeah. and that's a horrible thing and I just I don't understand why, at this stage, police aren't raiding her house and you know turning the place upside yeah, down it, because you should not be able to threaten somebody and their children without serious intervention
3: yeah and and I think that's the problem, unless unless someone specifically says. I am going to do A, B, and C, you know, they just sort of say, mm, it's just it's just words. And look, when those text messages started, that was the second time I called the police and I did it officially that time because I got quite, you know, hopeful that being a phone um and a SIM card, I might be able to say, Look, this this is her name. Just go and check the SIM card. Like if you can match it to the name, then then surely you can at least give her a warning or, or something yeah. like that. Bada bing bada um, boom done. Yeah, um, but, but they said no, you know, that they, they couldn't put the resources into, you know, a couple of, you know, nasty text messages. Um, and, but, but I was given no advice. And this is the thing that, you know, after talking to all the experts that I think is the biggest thing that needs to change, you know, I got very stock standard advice. Uh, keep a diary, call Triple O if you're in danger. In other words, it like, it was meaningless to me. Like, okay. I'll call triple O if, if, if I'm in danger. Like that that's not the issue. The issue is this ongoing torment um, that was taking place. So at that point I felt pretty helpless and I had decided there is, there is literally nothing I can do. This is not illegal. That's, that's what I had decided in my mind. Uh, she's allowed to do it. I just have to cross my fingers and hope for the best and just endure the torment because, you know, aside from all that fear, you're having to go through it daily you, when you're, you know, one of the experts I interviewed put it this way: you know, that the stalker over time makes it so that they are there even when they're not there, because you don't know when they're going to message again, you don't know when they're going to post, you don't know where, you don't know what. Um, so you're you're always waiting and, and anxious and um, and worried. So you know that that's on top of the the fear of well, what if they do something, you know, because. <laughs> to know someone so fixated on you for so long in itself is scary. Like it's, it's, that's a long time for someone to be still doing the same thing when they're getting no response. Um, And this idea of ignoring, it just, it just doesn't work. You know, if, if someone is that way inclined and they're obsessed that ignoring them just seems to make them angrier. That being said, responding probably would do the same thing, but, That's why we need help. You know, you need help from from police and and
2: support. Yeah, because as well, they're putting the action to prevent something onto you, the victim, rather than putting the action on the person who's doing the perpetration of the offence. And you're right Mm -hmm. that, like, that omnipresence is something that so many people speak about. There's always there, always seeing, always listening. And that might be through you know, devices that might be through different things, but it could just be because, you know, they've done this for so long that, and your fear, you know, like that frog in the pot kind of thing, you're in boiling water now. And every time I imagine you leave the house, you've got to worry about your kids. You've got to worry about your kids at school. You've got to worry about them at footy training. Like, you know, it's not just yourself that you're looking after as well. You're looking after a family. Like this is a, uh, I can't personally like, – I can't imagine how scary that would be to have to think about that every morning and every night, the safety of my children on that extra additional level, not only yourself, and to have the understanding – and I've always said this about public policy areas of government – can we please have <laughs> a common sense policy? Uh the fact of the matter is that common sense is, in fact, not that common. That's what I've been told. <laughs> I'm <working. Yeah. laughs> But the, the thing I mean yeah. in that is, like, you're understanding these words as threats. The fact that she's not said, I'm going to stab you in the face next time I see you, I'll be waiting for you out the front of your house at 9 a.m. Tuesday morning, that's not the fact that you are interpreting what she is saying as a threat is a threat exactly and, and recognizing the importance of
3: psychological harm as well so you know what what is okay is it if someone doesn't come and stab you in the face for example can they do everything else but that? Is is that okay? Because that's basically what you're being told, you know, as long as you're, you're not being broken into and, and and physically attacked and killed, then you're on your own kind of thing. Um, and that's a problem for two reasons. One, it could lead to that very thing that you're saying, it, it, and it often does lead to physical violence. Um, but even if it doesn't, people should not have to endure that for years at a time. And And some of the the people I spoke to, you know, they had to move home, change cars, you know, spend money that they don't have on security systems. And there's all sorts of repercussions that are just it's just not right that people are having to do all of this for themselves just because there is there is this idea that, well, you know, um, you haven't been attacked, physically attacked Um and if you do get physically attacked, who knows what will happen? I mean, the, the we don't hear a lot about non-domestic violence-related stalking in Australia. It's not talked about a lot, obviously. One of the more um, high-profile cases um, was Celeste Mano, who was stalked by a man she worked with, allegedly. Um, and she was ultimately murdered. You know, that was her, her first Face to face encounter with him since that first meeting. So these horrible, tragic outcomes do happen, but there's a huge amount in between that, that are where people are just left to their own devices.
2: Yeah. And rest in peace to Mano. That's one of the most horrific things. She was murdered in her own home by this. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, And
3: and, and her family's there left to, to, pick up the pieces and and, and with their own battle with trying to come to terms with all of these problems in in the system that have contributed to that absolutely just devastating outcome.
2: Yeah. And I think the common theme that I feel, you know, and I'm interested in your take on this as well, is that we are so often told things like, you know, like you're saying, ignore it, um, you know, putting the action back on you. But there is an inherent awareness there that by making an intervention, this person might lash out. If there's an inherent risk there, like if you did a risk assessment on somebody and you go, this person actually does have an inherent risk, we're going to manage them. So if that's the case, there's an inherent risk to you or your family and we know the person who's perpetrating that, why not issue the notice and put them under surveillance? Why not issue the notice and put you under guard? Why not fit them with a tracker? Uh, I don't know. Like There's so many things. And I know that we can't just go and put a tracker on somebody's ankle, but we've got incredible technology at the moment. This person's probably posting from their phone 99% of the time. Is there a way to make sure that we're managing that in a better way? In a prevention space, this is if they inherently know that the risk is there if they do something, why are they just avoiding doing anything instead of managing the offender rather than asking you, most of the time women, to be responsible and accountable for making themselves safe?
3: Exactly. And, you know, there, there are things that can be done and, that, and that's what I discovered. One of the um, stalking experts that I spoke to. And it's interesting that in Australia, there are multiple stalking experts, a lot of research, but nothing's being done with it. And that's, that's the frustrating thing, because I was surprised at how much is actually out there in this country. But I spoke to one professor, and she is originally from the, the Netherlands. And she was actively involved in developing the police response to stalking over there. And she's very heavily trying to help implement something similar here. They're simple things, but they're really effective. One is because the research shows that that, that putting a stop to it earlier makes a difference because, you know, the longer a, a stalker is investing in this obsession, the more invested they become and the more obsessed they become because they've put so much time and effort into it and and now they're caught up in it and it it mushrooms. So one of the things they do is go and visit um accused perpetrators early speak to them at least address it with them and and a lot of the times when someone's just got caught up in an obsession if they're if there's an intervention early enough they do kind of back down and realize you know their own uh life is at risk now because they the police are speaking to them and, and there's some incentive to stop in addition to that it's having the police training and the resources so A lot of the times when, you mentioned before, um, it can sometimes take 100 or more incidents before someone goes to the police. Often when they do go to the police, they don't go and say, hey, I'm being stalked. They say, oh, um, there's gifts being left at my front door or I'm getting lots of social media messages and they're they're reporting it that way. Um, Police in Australia are not trained necessarily to go okay let's make a note of that and then each time this person comes in go okay there's a couple of things there's a pattern and and help that person understand they're being stalked and proactively get on the front foot whereas in the Netherlands they have algorithms that pick up on the same person coming in keywords put into the system so they can identify that stalking early and it's not up to the person <laughs> to go, okay, stalking is a pattern of behaviour over time that causes fear. I need to collate several bits of evidence to provide to the police. To You know, not everyone can think that way. Um, and there's a lot of contributing factors that make that even harder. Education, illiteracy, English as a first language, family support. There's so many reasons that that is just a near impossible task for for somebody And that's why often they don't even recognise that they're being stalked. They just know that they're scared or that their life is being
2: destroyed. Absolutely. And there's so much as well, like on, you know, arrival at a police station too. I know in the UK, Laura Richards speaks all the time about the domestic abuse, stalking and honour-based violence checklist and the utilisation of specific questions being asked so that we can utilise that as a baselining risk factor. And I think as well, like, it needs to be considered, like, that that's the training that police need. There often is a hundred incidents or whatever it is before somebody's coming to you. They're not coming to you because somebody's been posting for a day. You know, they're coming to you because, you know, no- nobody really wants to go into a police station and sit down with somebody that. It's quite an intimidating process. Yeah, it is. There will be the maybe 1% that would go in there all the time. And that's fine. I understand. But we don't do things for the 1%. We do them for the 99. And I think it's just interesting. Like, yeah, somebody, oh, somebody's leaving presents at your doorstep. How does that make you feel? Makes me feel threatened because they're telling me that they know where I live. And it's scary as fuck because they come at all times of the day and night. Let's put that on a checklist and make sure that we're doing our due diligence for safety. Like I just feel like that information's been out there for long enough and police need to be trained better on things that affect us. That, Like this wholeheartedly needs to be addressed more.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And like of all the people that have contacted me since writing the book and most of the people I interviewed for the book, very few had had successful police action. Most were just con- are either currently or were still just putting up with it. Some, it had been, you know, just circumstances that made it stop. Someone moved or someone died or something, you know, something big happened to put a stop to it. Or they've had to fund their own court process to do like a, um, you know, a, an intervention order or something that they've had to apply for themselves. So it's not a police charge. It's just something you're trying to to do. Um So, you know, I I was fortunate in the end that I had a really supportive and helpful police officer, a female police officer, I'll just add. That could be a coincidence, but I I don't think so. Um, And I had the, you know, the skills to really articulate what I was trying to say, which, which was difficult. But with my line of work, I was able to do that. But I can imagine that it would be very, very difficult for a lot of people. I mean, I did have the luck of this very, very
2: supportive police officer.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and that's
2: so imperative and important. And I think back to uh, Dee, who is somebody who was stalked and, yeah, nothing was really happening with her case either in Australia until a female police officer came over. It had been happening for so long on and off and they just couldn't do anything about it again that the case specifically comes into the proactiveness of police officers and i think that you're right i think that maybe a woman wouldn't have not all of the time it doesn't have to always be a gendered thing but we do have a different experience of the world maybe the police officer level of these two individuals next to each other you've got the same education but her experience of life is so much different so the threat level is understood more and that's you know,' so wonderful that you were lucky enough to get that response from somebody and to have the skills and education that you did. Um.
1: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about juvederm lip fillers.
3: Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit
2: plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you, like, you kind of got to go back to your story, I think, again... So it had been progressing. you'd let the police know what was going on for the second time. Um, was that when this police officer got involved?
3: No, so when I spoke to that second police officer, I sort of left that really despondent and disheartened and had had just decided this is this is not a police issue. this is just this is my life for the foreseeable future. I have to find a way to just shut it out and and really that's that's what I did. I just lived. And it was just this noise in the background that was just always, always there. And it went in peaks and troughs and, and more at some stages and less at other stages. But it it was more or less continuous for the next several months, spanning, you know. And so much happened in that time. My brother had a baby. I bought a house. You know, life is going on. But for this other person, it it seemed like time had stood still. She She just was the same things constantly, constantly, constantly. Um, I guess the reason I tried again with police in the end was out of um, desperation and that fear level escalating and and thinking of the family, as you pointed out before. At some point, you know, you 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 are responsible for your family and when you feel like they might be in danger, you have to do something. So, you know, it had been many, many months of the same sorts of public you know, this public spectacle about me and, and, and my appearance and, and Adam and and everything else you could think of. But things started to become a little bit more personal. So uh, she was putting things up that seemed to suggest that she knew where we had been a few times and they, they, they did match up it, and I found that quite frightening. I didn't know whether she was following us or finding out information somehow. Um, eventually she posted our street name and that really threw me because you know we hadn't been long moved um you know adam's car was always parked out the front and it was a signed car um but it did it did frighten us, the fact that she knew where we lived and and posted about it. Um, and also posted about our upcoming wedding and where that was going to be and things like that. And look, I write in the book that we did make some silly mistakes, but you know, it's funny that even though you're you're so hyper-vigilant, you still make these mistakes. So in the case of the wedding, and I have no proof that this was how she found it out, but this is this was our assumption, but we'd created this wedding website it was free it was called the knot and we would created that as a way to invite people and just make it a bit of fun that's what we thought it was but little did we know that the default setting of these were public um obviously you're not going to stumble across that unless you're searching for it but once that information was posted i did a search and it popped up so i've you know i'm so angry at myself because it was a silly mistake on my behalf same with our address. You know, in that post where she posted our address, she also had a hashtag running. So we're trying to think running. You know, Adam used to run, you know, starting from our house, and we quickly looked up his strava account that he just joined he's not very technology savvy didn't have a photo or anything um that was public too and you know his track was just from from that street back to that street so we're trying to figure out you know is this how she's finding things out um why are we making such stupid mistakes still um but that sort of gave me cause for alarm it was it was bothering me she then posted that she had moved to our suburb i didn't know whether that was true or not um, so it was becoming kind of scary. At the same time, I got contacted by another person that I did not know who at that stage claimed to be a relative of Carissa um, and have ha- and was a victim of the same sorts of behaviours 10 years earlier and had identified me from these posts, um, which was really disconcerting. It kind of really freaked me out that I'd been identified because that was my big fear is that some people I know are going to see this page and... No, it's me, you know. It was just so much shame attached to it. I just I just didn't want anyone to know. Um, but in the end, she was a real blessing in disguise. She was absolutely wonderful to me, reaching out. And her expressing this support and her own fear, even though it kind of made me more fearful, it really validated that fear. I, I didn't feel quite so crazy, if that makes sense. Uh, uh, you know, hearing someone say, I know this person, I've seen what she's doing, it's happened to me and I'm terrified even contacting you now, at least told me, okay, I'm not overreacting, I've got to do something, I've got to try something else. Um, But I was a little bit lost. So in the end I I put in the cybercrime report. I decided to try something different and I put in the cybercrime report um, and that allowed me to write a lot down. So, you know, again, that writing is my skill. So I tried to get as much of the last couple of years in this cybercrime report as I could, click send, and then I hoped for the best. Um, And it was a long months before um, somebody contacted me and that was my local police station. And it was this woman and she rang and I started trying to tell her what had happened in the usual way that I do it, which is kind of dumbing it down because I'm so self-conscious. Yeah. But her response to me was so – she was so – she sounded so horrified that that just gave me the, the courage to keep telling her more and more and more and more. Yeah. And the more I did that, the more supportive she was, and it was just awesome. It was just – I was just so relieved that I had this police officer saying, yes, this is – this is a crime. And then when she said, you know, I think that, you know, she asked for the evidence, so I, I had a lot of work to do, um, but her goal was to charge Carissa with unlawful stalking. And as soon as I heard that, I just couldn't believe it. I, I was just floored that that was the crime that they were going to charge her with or wanted to. And it's to so at powerful. That stage.
2: And it's interesting as well, like, just to go back a little bit, because you did say twice just as you are explaining that bit then that, you'd both made silly or stupid mistakes. And I think that's interesting because it's like it's not on you. Nobody should have to live in so much fear that they can't have a Strava account. But it does highlight how dangerous technology can be for people who are being stalked. So, you know, I had a Strava account as well, and I've made mine like I can't – nobody can see me on Strava. Um, Not only is that because I'm a very slow runner and I don't go very far, so it's not something I want to brag about. (laughs) But it's also just like, it did scare me because I would start my runs from my house and I see people posting their things online and it shows their route from house to house. And that for people who haven't been stalked before, they don't know the danger of that. Maybe, maybe they're not in danger. Um, but I agree. But somebody going for a run and having a Strava account should not be putting them in danger. And, Absolutely. you know, I only say that because we often, we're so, we're such empathetic and normal people. We kind of can see our own faults in situations, but it isn't. This person chose to do these things to you. And, you know, for anybody listening, it's really important that you understand that it's not your fault if you make a mistake or if you do something that's picked up on, it's not your fault that somebody's doing this to you. And it's Absolutely. just to really highlight that, like, just to say explicitly that. As silly as you might feel, and as as much as you might kick yourself for making a mistake, somebody choosing to do that to you, and that's not your fault.
3: Absolutely not, and, and that's why you know you know I, I'm careful the way I frame this because obviously safety has to come first, and you can't do everything on principle. But I, I'm strongly opposed to this idea of. You must hide. Um, you must get off social media. You must change your life. Obviously, you have to protect yourself and your family. And, and look, for a long time, I had a, um, I had one Instagram account, a combined one. You know, I'm I'm not that techno myself, so you know, and but I am self employed, and I have been, and I I just had the one account, and I used to combo it up with work stuff and family stuff, like a lot of people do, and I was really determined for a while that I just did not want to change that I just didn't want to let this person change and I was just obsessed with I just refuse um obviously there came a certain point where you know I, I had to so I, I split it and I had a just a family one and made it private and and, and I had a work one which I'm um, I still post pretty freely on but you know no kids and and stuff like that and I had to make that decision for safety so obviously you know people have to think of their safety but at the same time, Outside of that, I I just strongly oppose. I've been asked a lot of times, like you know, just close down your social media, and I just think like, why, why, why should I do that when I need it for work and I want to engage with the world like everybody else gets to? You know, um, it's just not fair. And this and the research shows it makes absolutely no difference shutting down your things, ignoring the perpetrator. They will find a way. Um, and it's in, You know, it absolutely is, and and and. As far as technology goes, I think society has to just ca- catch up with the times. You know, we would never say to someone, don't check your mailbox because you might get a nasty letter or a, or a, an ugly, a, an unpleasant gift, don't check your mailbox, or don't go to work if you think someone's going to be waiting there for you. Um, you wouldn't do that. So I think we need to include um, technology in that same sort of logic. Be safe. People should be safe, and, and they must, but... Um, it's certainly not up to people to change their entire lives to protect themselves when, you know, we can just stop these
2: people that are doing it. Couldn't agree more. And, again, it's mm. putting the 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 responsibility back on law enforcement and different things to attend to the offender and not expect you to do that. And it's the same as asking a woman in domestic violence why didn't she leave sooner. Like these yeah. are the victim-blaming tropes that come through as if you've got any control over somebody stalking, like as if, you know, oh, if you just altered one part of your life, then it will stop. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. somebody's fixated on you, and we shouldn't even be asking you ever that question. The question should be why is this person choosing to behave like this and how can we stop them,
0: yeah. not how can,
2: how can you avoid them behaving like that. Exactly,
3: exactly, and it, it's such a um... – you know, there's so many facets to it as well, isn't there? There's like community attitudes, there's police response, and then uh, sadly, you know, there's also the justice the justice system, which is, you know, a whole other problem in itself. You know, when I, I spent the day at court, um, I decided to go along when... Um, Carissa was going to be sentenced. And it was very lucky that I did. Um, That's another story in itself, because I I was asked to speak in the end. And and had I not been there, I think there would have been a different outcome. But I went by choice. I didn't have to go. Um, But her case was the last one of the day. So I sat through a whole day of court. They were all domestic violence offenders, all of them apart from her, all of them really quite, quite violent ones. Um, It was quite awful. But the whole system was just a dog's breakfast. The prosecutors, I would swear if I was guessing that they just got dumped a file that morning. They're sifting through it. They're trying to say, oh, this happened. This happened. I think this happened. The judge is trying to listen. And then everyone just gets a, you know, um, everybody there leading up to Carissa's case, got a two-year probation order. There was no jail time and these were violent repeat offenders. Um, so I was quite shocked and I thought, I said to my mum because she was there with me, like, I just want to leave. Like, if these people are getting probation orders, they're going to laugh. This judge is going to laugh when um, <laughs> when Carissa comes in because, you know, she stalked me on social media. She's just going to laugh. But... um she didn't in the end. Um, she was really, she was pretty good. You know, when you think of it relatively to, to what what had just happened, she was, I was quite lucky because Carissa also got a two-year yeah. probation order. Um, mm.
2: There's a consequence, you know, and there's something that they can actively work yes. against, you know, and, and that's it's so incredibly important. But I think the maximum term of stalking in Australia is 10 years is it not
3: yeah 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 but it's got to be quite extreme and there's got to be violence attached to it yeah. but again it's 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 all comes down to the luck of the person because uh, you know my police officer put in so much work um but the prosecutor wasn't even in there they they called in by phone um and he had half the facts he seemed to have no idea And she relied heavily on my victim impact statement, which was pages long and very detailed. And even when I got that task to do that, I didn't know how to do it either. It was just that I had started researching this book and someone had sent me theirs. So I was able to look at that and go, okay, this is what I need to include (laughs) because nobody told me. Um, Then I've got those added writing skills so I could could do that. But I, I really thought to myself, if I hadn't been able to do that, she would have just walked out of here. I'm sure of it. And then the judge had to ask me particular questions because they weren't in there. Then then she set up a private phone call between me and the prosecutor so I could explain some things to him. <laughs> it was it was quite incredible. And and because of my being there, the the judge decided to add a restraining order. The prosecutor did not even have that down as something to request. So it was it was a whole mess and a whole lot of uh luck and and determination and just my specific you know skill set and determination that enabled me to maybe get it across the line but i think yeah there's a there's a lot
2: of, there are a lot of problems there 100% yeah um and you know, we we spoke about a few of them before that are barriers for people even explaining this crime. So, uh, being mm-hmm. Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, having a different English as a second language, yep. um, coming from different backgrounds, you know, your your knowledge of the world and the way that people treat you in systems is very different, you know. And it's it's important Absolutely. to recognise that. Yeah. But I also like so with the with your story, you said that like you, she had kind of started this off again, you went to the cybercrime side of things, then they contacted you and they were like, we're going to go for stalking. What was that process like between that and attending court? Did you have to, like, were you heavily invested in getting information together and all of that? Yeah.
3: yeah. She basically said the first thing she said, it was, you need to send me everything you've got. Um, that's, I, I need evidence. I can't do anything yeah. without it. Um and she was quite impressed when she saw what I sent her because I had plenty of it. I've been screenshotting and keeping things since the very, very first message. I don't really know why. Um, I don't know if that's just like a journalist thing. I don't know. But but that's what I had done. I just instinctually did it. So I had tons and tons of stuff to send her. Um, so I had to do all of that. Um. They tried to call her as well, and and she spent quite you know quite a few months just not returning calls and not um, responding to them at all. I kind of said to them, you know, "Can't you go to her workplace or something?" Because I had I had provided that, but they said oh, we like to avoid that and we'll just keep trying. Um, then they did get her, and I got a call back, and they said, "Oh, we spoke to Carissa, and she's just she said you've taken a few things out of context." And my heart started pounding. I was just panic stricken, like, how? how, how like, I, I was kind of speechless. And she said, Look, don't worry. That's not, it's not deterring us. I'm just letting you know what she said. <laughs> and I was relieved. The other difficult task I had to do was so I spoke, I speak about this a lot in the book is that a stalker, whether they're intimately, whether they know you intimately or not, it, it's easier if they know you intimately. But over time, there's an ability to develop almost a secret language between the two of you, and often the victim is not telling anybody. So it's over time you're caught in this trap because they're harassing you in the same way, but it's less obvious and it's more difficult to prove because they can use these certain words and terms of phrase that you know exactly what it means, but other people might not. So in my case, nick- nicknames were were developed for me. <laughs> very, you know, not very nice ones. Um, usually related to what I looked like. Um, but I knew which ones were meant for me. Whether it was Rat Face or Gonzo or whatever it must might have been. Um, but the police officer asked me to see if I could somehow put a case together to demonstrate that those nicknames meant me so that they could include all of those posts so it's quite a task to go okay I'm going to start at the early messages where she personally messaged me from her account to my account and called me those names and link them all up to these other ones where she doesn't mention my name personally but she uses the same nickname so it's a you can imagine not only is that a difficult process, it's a really humiliating process. It's not very joyful to be able to you know prove <laughs> why you are these horrible things, but it but it's something I had to do um but it was but it was difficult um but I was determined, and I did do that, so she was able to include all yeah. of those posts as
2: well. you are um, still like you're a working mum you've got kids, you've got a mortgage, you've got – like there's a lot in your life going on and this is like a full-time investigation as well. Like how much yeah. strain and pressure and time is that putting on you in your life simply to progress this even with the police? Because I think most people would just think, oh, the police are actioning and you send them everything and they will do the analysis. We do
3: it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's very stressful because, I mean – I was driven, I suppose, by uh, uh, like dogged determination. I'd, I'd put up with it for so long I was just I was just getting to the end of my tether. Like I was almost at a point where I thought if I don't get somewhere with the police, I'm going to have to do something else. You know, maybe I'll just, like I was, my mind was racing, like what can, I can't do nothing anymore. It's getting scary. Like, you know, I can't, mm-hmm. it's irresponsible to, to just sit here any longer. But um it was really overwhelming and I could imagine that it would just be all too much for a lot of people. And especially if you are dealing with um, a domestic violence situation, often, more often than not, stalkers are men. And and that adds another layer of, of fear for a lot of people as well. Um, and if you're having to be confronted with everything that you've um, had to endure, that can be you know quite traumatic i would imagine for a lot of people particularly people with histories or backgrounds of trauma and things like that so it's not an easy exercise and in my case the other thing that the police requested that that i also had to try to get was um I had mentioned that this person had contacted me and identified me, and, and she said it would be so, so helpful to have a third party witness that always helps with a he said, she said type scenario. <laughs> so I had to ask, um, you know, she'll just sheepishly ask this wonderful woman if she would be willing to provide a statement. For me, even though she had her own, you know, fears and things like that, um, yeah, and she yeah. did do that for me, and I will be eternally grateful. She literally changed everything by doing that. um Because the police woman told me that was the clincher. That that was that was the reason they were able to get the charge across. That's so amazing,
2: mm. and it is like it's so much for you. So much like this is just such. Like it's, it's so horrific. It's and it took so long as well. And then, like mm. you said, you've ended up in a scenario where this person's got a two year probation order. What mm. kind of happened from there? Was there any uh, ongoing contact? Was that ever broken? Are we still in that now?
3: So that two years ends in January. Um, It hasn't been broken, but there have been a couple of things that I have reported to police um, that that didn't go anywhere. And I guess that comes back to what I was speaking about before: is that people have a way of letting you know that they're there um, without when they've when there's been this really well developed language, you can let someone know you're still around without breaking that order. So that that happened um, quite a few times, you know. Even after that charge, including that afternoon, it was mind blowing. I just, I just thought, how? how I don't understand. Like this is a this is a mother herself. I just couldn't believe it. But um, interestingly, though, in my case, when I started to talk publicly about it, all of those social media accounts got shut down and closed. And you know, it just gave me. You know, it really made me think, you know, is is our collective silence empowering all these people? You know, is that, you know, that they're able to be sober? I mean, the fact that they do this openly in their own names has to tell us something. It means that they are not scared. They know there's going to be no repercussions. Otherwise, they would hide. I mean, people still, it's in your nature to protect yourself. Um, So... It's interesting. You know, I really think again, I, I always say, obviously, with safety in mind, but if, but if more people felt like they could tell somebody, maybe not, maybe not, you know, in a book or publicly, but tell somebody, um, don't keep it all to yourself because it's that isolation that empowers these people.
2: That's my yeah. view. I agree. And I always say as well, like maybe somebody close to you is not the right person. If you're worried that somebody's exactly. going to have a bad response or they're not going to understand, then that's fine. Reach out to people like peer to peer networks. There are advocacy services. There are people that are experts on this who will listen and take you seriously. And that might be somebody that can hold your hand, whether it be in person or virtually maybe through the next few steps, which is so important, you know, something that you've had to go through and learn the hard way from doing this all not on your own because you weren't ever 100% in it, but, you know, you didn't have any – like you didn't have an advocate that worked with you from the beginning or anything like that. It, it's, it's been something largely you've had to figure out as you go.
3: Yeah, exactly. And and I think, you know, you, you may – even by telling one or two people – you still might not feel sort of safe enough or, or ready to do anything about it. That may be so, but at least when the time comes, there there is a bit. There's someone who knows about it. I, I do think that's a, a safer option because, I mean, I, I my my life wasn't being threatened or anything like that. But when those when that when things took a turn and they were becoming more public, I sort of said to Adam and my mom, I think that I need to tell. A couple of people like I feel like I should tell someone I, I don't know how I'm going to what I, what I will do if she takes this to another level and then I'm trying to say oh um this has been happening for this long and people's natural response is oh well, has it well how come you haven't said anything you know yeah. you're trapped sort of in that you know and if, if you literally haven't told anyone you, you could be in quite a lot of danger I mean that's why these you know DV perpetrators you know they isolate their their partners I mean there's there's protection for the perpetrator when you are isolated
2: and silence colludes with the perpetrator and that's why mm. your book has done so much to shine this light on a problem that we need to shine more light on it's a it's a dark topic it is something that is you know as we spoke about at the very beginning often uh made fun of but as we've, you've shared so bravely with your story as well, is how all life-encompassing it is. Um, do you mind sharing, like, at what point you decided to start the book? Because you said kind of through your story that, that that kind of happened not at the very end or anything. How did that yeah, come to yeah. fruition?
3: Yeah, so the, the first thing that came to my mind was, was not related to sharing my own story but was investigating stalking as a crime. So once this what had been happening to me was labeled as stalking um my journalistic instincts sort of kicked in like okay is this happening to other people how is it impacting other people i just i just wanted to know um not only that i've always been fascinated and baffled at the why so i mean obviously why someone's obsessed they want to bother you but to what end to what outcome when yeah. will it when is when is it enough it, it's always sort of baffled me and I, and I wanted to to look into that so um i've written a couple of articles about it but i just never i felt like it delved into things enough so i had this idea swirling around in my head that perhaps you know i could work on a book that analyzes um stalking or investigates stalking looks at case studies and things like that um by chance um My wonderful agent called me out of the blue, nothing to do with this, but she was also on the board of a domestic violence charity. I write a lot about domestic violence and she called me to pitch a story. Um, And so we were talking about the story and that got us talking about domestic violence and and experiences in life and things like that. It was just one of those conversations that flowed and I, I told her about what had been happening To me and that, you know, I was thinking that, you know, it could be something to investigate. What do you think? Because she was a, a literary agent and she said, absolutely, you know, I think it's a great idea, but I think people need to hear your story because personal stories, you know, and I know this, you know, you know, I, I'm all too aware of how somebody else sharing their story can impact other people it's it's done it for me that many times you know over the years you know in relation to relationships or children or things like that it's it's huge but it's also confronting when it's when it's you because I hadn't ever thought about telling anybody at all let alone writing it down for everybody to read um but we sort of got talking about it and I sort of thought you know maybe maybe I should just go all in and 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 put it out there and expose it and and see if I can actually make a difference, if people will care um, about it. Um, But she was very passionate about it and wonderfully supportive and and pitched the idea to Pantera, who, who were also really keen. And it just sort of happened quite quickly. And they sort of said, you know, would you feel comfortable with this or that? Why don't you write a chapter and just see? So, you know, I wrote, of the first chapter of the memoir part of it and once I started I just it just snowballed out and it was the first time ever including w- conversations with Adam or my mum that I'd been so honest with the actual impact of it because it's really hard to to express how angry you are about something or how distraught you are when you feel feel like you shouldn't be so distraught and and I felt all of those things and a lot of the things that were written about me or said about me were really really humiliating and, and I even softened them half the time or didn't show everything you know I didn't show every single post you know just I just summarized it a lot of the time because it was just too awful but so I I really found that process to be confronting but really therapeutic as well and so I just made the decision to to proceed. And, um, yeah, that's how it came about.
2: It's so amazing. And it, it is so true as well. Like all of my experiences in those areas as well, it's just been like, I feel like when you're writing something down, you don't have, to, cause it's not a personal thing. It's a, you explaining it thing. So giving it the real context is almost more necessary so that you can convey exactly what it is. You, there's so much of your like conversation and stuff that's done with body language. And I feel like when you write it down, it's like, for me personally, it's always been quite therapeutic because it helps me understand what I'm feeling a lot more because I have to break it down in those ways. Did you find that for yourself as well? Was there a part of it that was therapeutic for you going through that experience?
3: Absolutely. It it was therapeutic in that, or as you say, you're really processing your feelings as you're writing it down, but mostly just that ability to be so honest about it. I mean, I've been um in this unusual position since then where I've I've actually have spoken to a lot of people about it now. Um, but I think each time I do that, I still uh, I still feel weird. Like it, you know, and it must come through. I'm like sort of start rambling and I'm I'm self-conscious and I'm I muffle things up and it's a strange thing to talk about because it was so awful. But when I was writing it down, I was just so honest about it. I didn't sugarcoat anything and I could really express those feelings because you don't have that that audience around you and it, it, it feels more more honest and more real. So I found that really, really helpful um, for me. And, yeah, so I think, yeah. And, and, look, I was scared, though, because there is this, we have this attitude problem when it comes to stalking as it is that there's a particular level of um, potential salaciousness around a female stalker and a female victim. You know, I was quite fearful of, once the, you know, requests for interviews came in and things like that, I was quite fearful of comparisons to fatal attraction and, and, and sort of, sensationalizing sensationalizing it and things like that um but i i have to say i've been quite heartened and pleasantly surprised at the response and and the respect it's been given um by you know all parts of the media really and, and surprising parts too you know like it's you know what it's like um with the way things are reported and and things like that so it's 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 a positive sign i think at least that there's been a good response
2: and i'm just so glad and grateful that you're getting this accurate narrative out that there is contradicting feelings that you can feel stupid that you can feel ashamed that you can feel embarrassed that you can also you know feel like it's not bad enough like there are so many conflicting feelings that you've described and i just find it so incredibly powerful that people who are feeling the same way are going to hear that. They're not going to hear the current affair version where it's been a three hour interview condensed into a five minute segment that pulls all of the most salacious parts of what you said together. It is giving people access to accurate information that will be more likely to validate their own experiences. And whether that means they acknowledge they're in danger, they go seek help, they tell somebody, like whatever that might be, that's the part that you're going to be impacting on. And I think that's the part that I'm so grateful as well is that this is real. It's a real story with real impacts and reflections. And that's what's part – that for me, that's what a great story is, is it gives you an emotive and it gives you an accurate representation. And I feel like if you were to have sugar anything – or made it seem different than what it actually was to you, it wouldn't be impacting in the way that it is.
3: I think it almost contributes to the problem because a couple of times I thought, oh, can I really, can I really say this in public? Like, am I... Here to hum- how hum how much can I humiliate myself in this process? <laughs> um, but then I thought, you know what what's the point? Otherwise, if, if, if you're not being honest, you're you, you're part of the problem. Oh, well, here's something that happened, but it wasn't that bad, and it wasn't this, and it, you know, I, I was very controlled here, and I, you know, it's not really, um, you know, yeah. It, it, if you're not being honest, there's just no point in in doing it, even though it's um not easy. But look, I, I hope it's made a difference. Even those few messages I've got, you know, really mean the world to me. I had one from a 17-year-old girl who had been stalked by a, a, a an older, much older man. And she's written me this message, found me on Instagram and sent me this message to thank me. And I nearly started to cry because, yeah, that that's all you can, you can hope. But, you know, a lot of people ask for advice too. And I just think, you know, we should have something in Australia that can provide that advice. And in Australia we have nothing um, outside of domestic violence sort of um, framed organisations. We have nothing dedicated to stalking at all. So there's really nowhere that people can call where there are experts um, to help them um, as there are overseas. So
2: that's something I'd love to see change. Um,
3: how, How to do
2: that, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, let's get on that together because I'll do that with you, anything we can do yeah. to bring it more into the spotlight here. Um, and, Amazing. you know, I shared my story of personally being stalked myself uh, on the Strictly Stalking podcast, and as you were speaking before, I was like, hang on, I have something that just popped into my mind, and this is also the power of discussion, right? I don't think I shared this on the thing podcast, but it just gave me a visceral image back in my mind of when I was being stalked. And you said that that she had created an account for you and was texting back and forth. And I just remember my own personal experience. Somebody had made a fake Facebook page under my name and then gone and added all of my friends and family and said things like, Hey, sorry, my account got hacked where are we going this weekend? What are we doing? What was our plans for Friday night again? Whose house are we meeting up at? I can't remember what happened last night. Did I really kiss that guy? Like, and it was, my friends were like, you didn't even drink on the weekend. What do you mean? Did you kiss that guy? And I was like, what are you talking about? And I remember like, it came out over like a week or two. And I was like, what do you mean you were messaging me on Facebook? And I'm like looking at this profile and it had a different picture, but the picture was of me. And I went through all of these messages. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages. And isn't that just the craziest thing, like you were talking to as well? Which is just like when so many things happen, you almost forget. You forget some of them. Like I completely yeah, you forgot
0: that that
3: happened. You do. And isn't that, doesn't that tell you something in itself that you could forget <laughs> something like that because so much is happening and it's so, so, so traumatic? that's incredible and you know it's you can sort of look back and 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 laugh about it but there is potential destruction that can come from a fake um facebook profile i mean you know if it had have impacted your your work or a relationship you just
2: don't know like it's not as harmless as kind of people make out like it Me- is a hundred percent, most people who hire you these days will Google you and look for yeah. your social media accounts. So if somebody That's out cute. there has a fake profile of you posting horrible things, it could impact your life.
3: It really could, like in in actual, you know, real tangible ways. So it's, um, yeah, it's a scary prospect. But I'm so grateful to have had you, you had on. you been on Stalking, I'll have to take a listen.
2: Yes, I have. Have you been on there? Yeah. I do love I do amazing at Jake and Jamie. Yeah, they were so funny.
3: So um so much life. (laughs) So much life to them. But um I'll have to take a listen. I didn't realise.
2: Yes. Um and you know, I'm gonna have them both on to this podcast as well. We we message quite a bit. They're just amazing, amazing humans. And again, like stalking for me is something I really want to shine as much of a spotlight I can as possible so if we can do anything together let's have a deep dive in offline and Please. see what we can do to bring that more into australia because it is such a problem absolutely,
3: absolutely. But your, yeah you.
2: your book is really bridging a big part of that gap in creating so much education so i want to say thank you so much well thank and you I appreciate still that. fangirling
3: <laughs> <laughs> nah, well the feeling's mutual <laughs>
2: <laughs> but can we um Can you tell the listeners about, like, how they can access the book? I know that you're planning on doing an audio, right, as well?
3: Yeah, I'm going to Melbourne to record that in a couple of weeks. So that will come out. The audio book will come out in December. Yes. Um, And the traditional book is available at most bookstores. I'm pretty sure it's at all the the main ones and a lot of independent ones and, of course, online at Booktopia and, and those sorts
2: of places. So not too hard to find beautiful so we'll pop the links in the show notes of this episode what we're going to do is also make sure i I will say like please try and support your local bookstore if you can um they're the best places to get it through um but i will pop the link in so that you can make sure that you're looking at the correct one um but you know thank you so much uh for shining a light on stalking for speaking so openly about your own experiences and for everything as well i just think you're an incredible human being, and I'm so honoured to have you on.
3: Oh, thank you. I, I'm really, really honoured to be on here as well. I really appreciate that people um, like yourself are care enough
2: <laughs> to, to listen. Of course. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Nicole, and I hope to speak to you again soon. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Reclaim Me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye.
0: Hold up. What was that?